0: Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Pain Show. I feel extremely honored to get to do this episode today and to get to have a conversation with a woman who is sitting across from me, Jelana Gobel. She is the author of the brand new book, A Love Stretched the Life, Stories on Wrangling Hope, Embracing the Unexpected, and Discovering the Meaning of Family. And you guys, I started reading this book and within a page or two, I'm like, Jelana is my people. She just, there are so many connection points that we have with our, just things that we're passionate about. And I never even heard of her before, but now I just want to be best friends with her because of just her passion for what God can do through difficult situations and for our willingness to step into, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to walk in proximity to other people who are walking through hard situations and how we can come alongside them and how God uses that to profoundly change our lives. And so whether you have any interest in foster care, whether you have a child who has special needs, whether you just have a passion to make a difference in lives or— You don't care about any of those things, but you want to just have your heart stirred. I just invite you to listen in to this conversation. And Jelana, thank you so much for being here. Crystal, thanks for having me. I'd love for you to just start by introducing yourself and your family to my audience.
1: Um, I have been married to Luke for 22 years. There are five children that call me mom, four that live under the roof of my home, ranging in age from 10 to 25. Our 25-year-old Crystal is named Royal, and it's a story that I share in A Love Stretch Life, but we actually welcomed him when he was in first grade in foster Mm -hmm. care before we had biological children, and through a series of circumstances, lost touch with him. And then six years ago, when he was a 19-year-old young man, we reconnected. And Mm -hmm. so we count him as our oldest. Uh, I refer to him as the son of my heart. He calls us mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no legal connection, but Who cares about that, Mm -hmm. right? He's mine. (laughs) I'm his. Um, And then I have an 18-year-old Sophia and a 15-year-old Elaney. And then we have two boys that we fostered and later adopted who are 14 and 10 um, who have no relationship to one another. We fostered them, not necessarily intending to adopt them, but Mm -hmm. that's just kind of where the road led.
0: And so you fostered before you had biological children. I'd love to hear, how did you... Like, how did God put that passion on your heart? How did you walk into that? You know, I had spent some time
1: at an orphanage in Guatemala, and after my husband and I got married in 2000, I invited him to come down with me for a little bit, and we actually lived in Antigua, but on the weekends, we would go to the orphanage, and that's really where God kind of cultivated our heart for vulnerable kids, and um, we were really impacted by some of the stories and some of the the children that we you know, met and walked alongside and really on the plane coming back to the United States, when we were going to Buffalo, New York for my husband's graduate school, we turned to one another and we just said, where are the vulnerable children here? Mm. It's a rather naive question to my knowledge, crystal growing up. I don't know at least anyone impacted by foster care that I knew of, of course mm. there were, but I just didn't grow up knowing anyone else that was foster parenting or at school to my knowledge that were, you know, in the foster care system, um, Of course, there were. I just didn't know them. Um, And so it was really foreign for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at 25 years old, we went to this agency really thinking we were going to show up and offer to do respite on Mm -hmm. weekends. And they were like, you know what? You'd be pretty great. Um, Why don't you just do not only foster care, but therapeutic foster (laughs) care, which is often how, you know, the most, uh, how trauma manifests in some of the most exasperating behaviors. And I think Luke and I were both a little like flattered, like, they see something in us that mm-hmm. we don't even see to ourselves. Maybe we'd be awesome at this. <laughs> and lo and behold, you know, that that kind of all came crashing down within mm-hmm. the first 24 hours where we realized there is a difference between taking notes about trauma mm-hmm. in a journal at a foster care training class and a difference between walking that out underneath the roof of your home right mm-hmm. in front of you
0: mm-hmm.
1: and very quickly within 24 hours i realized i think i'm in a little over my head here mm-hmm.
0: so what did you do with that then when you realized oh no what do we do
1: you know what i i would say that's really where i luke and i were invited to press into our faith in a mm-hmm. new way i think i i talk about it in the book i always felt like faith was kind of like a side dish but we were pretty like self-sufficient on our own mm-hmm. you know we kind of had this buffet of self-sufficiency we had you know we could we we just kind of had the world at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. And foster care was really the first time that I was invited into people and places and situations that things weren't so tidy. Mm -hmm. Um, To make a long story short, we were placed with two brothers and the nine-year-old just with with his high trauma and some pretty significant mental health issues needed to, um, for the safety of the six-year-old, go away from our home. And I just remember feeling like such a failure mm. I, we learned in class like siblings are supposed to stay together right mm. and here we are and I can't do it and I think it just bankrupted us of our own perceived self-sufficiency where we really had to begin to rely on God in, an, in a new way in a way that's like the daily dependence type way not mm. just like a this sounds great for a few hours on mm. Sunday type way and so that was profoundly changing um you know I think, Prior to becoming a foster parent, though I would have never voiced this out loud, I think I did have an internal monologue about like, you know, things looking pretty tidy from a Mm -hmm. distance about like, what's the problem? Well, here's the solution. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I I think I have realized on this journey that, you know, God invites us to walk alongside folks, but not necessarily to call down from a very privileged Mm -hmm. mountaintop just make a different choice and here's how to do it. Mm. Especially when we don't have the humility of like actually walking in their
0: shoes. Yes. Yes. And it's so easy for us to think like, here's the answer. Like just do this. It's, it looks so simple, but it's not at all. Like once you start walking alongside and the depth in you start understanding the layers upon layers upon layers of, Struggle that they have there are no clear-cut, simple, easy answers
1: right and I think once we really begin to understand people's stories beyond just the label of they're an addict or they're a felon or mm-hmm. whatever it is that conjures up an image of what somebody that has that label is, um, we realize they're human mm-hmm. and had we had I been dealt that same you know traumatic injustice Filled deck of cards of life, there is a darn good chance I might be standing where this person is now standing. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to finger point, but it's also such an opportunity and such an invitation to to come alongside. And I don't want to make this sound like it's like some Disney version. This is hard. Relationships Mm -hmm. take two. Um, Not every you know, not every relationship is going to look like the relationship that I have with our fourteen year olds. Um, first mom who we've been walking alongside for 13 and a half years mm-hmm. since I met her at juvenile court. But in that very story, Crystal, it was, you know, being handed her six-month-old baby boy in foster care, being told a few months later, mom's going to show up at court. And then in a... um last minute impulse, I grabbed the eight by 10 photograph that was sitting of her baby boy on top mm. of my piano on the way to court. And I'd never been to court before. And mm. I never met or engaged with a child welfare involved parent before. And I arrived and I like to say that court is kind of like the worst of middle school. Mm. You know, it's like people standing around in circles and kind of looking over their shoulders sometimes and whispering. And But I caught the eye of this woman that had this very like disheveled, bun in her. And I just said, hi, are you, are you Jennifer? And I have her permission to use her name. I share about her in the book. And she said, I am. And I said, well, I'm Jelana. I am Micah's foster mom. And, um, I brought this for you and I held out the photograph and she took it and she started crying. And I found myself, Crystal, just like wrapping her up in a hug and saying, I just want to let you know, I'm rooting for you. Mm. I did not plan to say that. In fact, I kind of thought I had an idea of like how this was going to all go. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of 13 and a half years that have had so many ups and downs, Mm -hmm. so many ups and downs. But ultimately, it's led to us um, adopting that child, Mm -hmm. continuing in relationship with her, fostering her next child, Mm -hmm. the full biological brother to my now adopted son, and then returning that child Mm -hmm. back to her so it's really a case of never say never she's had four children they've all been child welfare involved um but this is how it's you know this is how it's worked out in in our family and um it's it's my it's been my privilege like we have a kinship type relationship and she has taught me so much mm. about things i never knew before mm.
0: i think that oh there's so much there um and my heart just Like I just have so many big feelings because of walking alongside birth moms and getting to know their story. And I have discovered in talking about things online about birth parents, there is oftentimes so much instant criticism. Mm -hmm. Like, how could they do that to their child? And I have been there. Mm -hmm. I have been there. The first time I met a birth mom, Mm -hmm. I had so much disdain? I mean anger and I was frustrated and I just you know like you were talking about, it was like me looking down upon and I just started praying, God, help me to love her as you love her because right now I'm really struggling with that. And God just started changing my heart but as I got to know her. Yeah. It You know, if I had just met her that one time and then walked away, I would have forever just kind of felt those feelings probably towards her. But as I got to know her and it was awkward, there were so many awkward moments, but getting to know her and walking with her (laughs) and showing up, even when I didn't want to, even when in my heart, I wasn't, you know, feeling love towards her, Mm -hmm. choosing to love her Mm -hmm. and God just changed my heart. And so now I am, I just think the world of her. I I just see how she has fought so hard for her child. She has fought through so much in her life. And I think she is way more brave, way more courageous
1: than I could ever be. Right. Right. Because I think we hold that tension of like, whatever it was, whatever her acute struggle was that landed her child in foster care. Like, is that a label that's appropriate for her? Yes, that is true. But what's also true is that you get a front row seat to see that she's also an overcomer
0: Mm -hmm. and that
1: overcoming label becomes like the top label. Mm -hmm. You know, we're holding the tension. Both are true, but we're able to see the obstacles up close and personal that she's had to scale that are so, at least in my experience, so unlike anything I've had to engage. Mm -hmm.
0: And just makes you realize Like for our kids, I'm always telling them, you always know where your next meal is going to come from. You always know where you're going to sleep tonight. And you always have someone to go to when you're struggling. And if you don't have those three things in your life, we can't even fathom what that would be like and how that would affect us deeply and the choices we would make if you don't have anyone to lean on. Right. And we know,
1: you know, just statistically that so many, parents that have their kids in foster care were once kids in foster care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I think, I think um, trauma just can create these like deep groups, mm-hmm. you know, that lasts for a lifetime. And I think that's not um, an excuse, but it is context for mm-hmm. for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I really do see stepping in to foster parenting as kind of a, A personal invitation. I I say it like both wrecked my life, Crystal, and it saved it Mm -hmm. at the same time Mm. because my world was turned really upside down, and the things I thought I knew, I was like, "Oh, this is I don't know as much as I thought Mm -hmm. I knew." And also, it drew me in proximity, and I really do believe that that is such a primary way that God cultivates our hearts um, is not by hearing a statistic, not by hearing about you know somebody's label, but by actually having the opportunity to walk alongside, because suddenly a lot of those labels, while they're still true, they don't become the primary driving force, the lens through which we see Mm -hmm. others. And Mm -hmm. that's um, been really impactful for me. Mm
0: -hmm. So I'm sure there are people listening right now who are thinking, well, I'm not called to foster care. I could never foster. But this idea of walking in proximity is something that I feel something stirring in my heart about that. What would you say for someone who they want to find someone to walk in proximity with who, you know, God can use this to change their heart?
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, I think that there are so many invitations for us. I think we just really have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, It may not be as overt as stepping into foster parenting, but there's probably a mom at your kid's school or the new person at church. Or, you know, there's just so many ways that we can— Just initiate and try to be there for one another. And then when hard times come, and they do for all of us, that we can walk alongside. I think, um, you know, foster parenting has exposed me to a lot of realities that I'd never seen before. But it's also reminded me that, you know, everyone is carrying something. Mm -hmm. And even the shiniest lives on the outside are still carrying something. So how can we discern well who's ours to engage with? And then once we know to just really be in it. Um, and and that can look a variety of different ways, but I think sometimes walking alongside someone for the long haul and being able to walk through those mountains and valleys with them, yes, it 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 might change them, but it also really affects us. Mm-hmm. We're not the same people that we would have been before if we hadn't had that very messy privilege mm-hmm. of walking alongside.
0: Well, and I was thinking about how, you know, you said 13 and a half years that you have been walking with Jennifer and there's been a lot of ups and downs. Nice. And I think one of the fears that a lot of people have is how it could negatively impact their home mm-hmm. and their life to be walking in close proximity with yeah. someone who is struggling yeah, and goes through hard seasons. And so how have you wrestled through that? And what would you say to someone who... Who has that fear?
1: You know, I think for me it was, it was having a, a welcoming, inviting posture, but also holding boundaries. Mm-hmm. It was four years before Jennifer was invited into the sacred space of our home. And that mm-hmm. was for good reason. Um, and you know, now she and her other children, you know, join us at most holidays and different things. And it's our joy to to connect with her. But I think um your question was like, how do we walk alongside others? Yes. And
0: how do we kind of push through if we have that fear? fear.
1: Yeah. The fear factor I think is, is, is really strong. And I think especially in foster parenting, there are not a lot of like relational bridges that mm. foster parents and biological parents can walk across. So I think that honestly, in my case, Crystal, a lot of the things that kind of dissipated that fear were just really small acts of humanity. Mm-hmm. It was it was giving her a hug at court. That led to me saying, you know what? I think I can do my own transportation to the child welfare office. It's not that far from my house. Mm-hmm. And that gave me an opportunity to say hello and goodbye to her and give her a few updates about her son. Um, at that time, if he was going to try a new food, for example, I would like save it for Jennifer to experience. Cause you know, she's seeing him one hour a week and we think about his parents, how much life has lived in a 24 hour cycle. And then we think about trying to crawl out of the worst struggle of our life. In her case, the pit of addiction, one hour a week is mm-hmm. not a lot. Um, and so, you know, that led to Jennifer saying, Jelana, I grew up visiting my mom in the same office, mm. in the same room
0: mm.
1: where I am now visiting with my baby. And I hate it here. And is mm. there any way that you can supervise visits for me outside the office? And so I really feel like she was so courageous. You know, I mm-hmm. I started it, but she also initiated it. And that led to 150 hours together of me supervising visits in the community. And that really, that proximity is what kind of erased some of the fear. I was very smart. There were times where, you know, where... I needed to hold back boundaries and say, we have to pull offices, you know, visits back to the office for this Mm -hmm. time, or I'm not going to be in communication with you if you're this, this, or this. Mm -hmm. But but throughout it all, still maintaining, like, we have a high respect, regard for you, and over the years, it's really turned to a high love, and our love for you is up, it's high, it's up here. But sometimes… You know, your choices are making our trust of you Mm. go down. But even when our trust of you falls, our love for you is still here. Mm. And, you know, a child growing up in the foster care system herself, that was just a very foreign concept to Mm. her.
0: I want to take a little bit of a turn here in the interview, because I also want to talk about you have um, a son who has special needs yes. and that's been a whole other journey yes. <laughs> as well. um, you want to tell us a little bit about him? So this is my Charlie and
1: we got a call asking if we could pick up a baby just for the weekend. Mm. And you know, you can do anything for 48 hours. Mm. My husband's not like an avid video game player at all, but he happened to be at the neighbor's house playing NBA jam. And I walked next door with the, with the person on hold. And I just said, Hey babe, um, there's a baby at the hospital down the road that needs to be picked up just for the weekend. Could we do that? And he kind of had the same like Sure. You can mm-hmm. do anything for the weekend. That child is now my Charlie, and he has been with us for more than a decade, much to our delight. Charlie's case was pretty straightforward. There wasn't a lot of parental involvement, and so we were able to adopt him um, at age two. And then quickly afterwards, Crystal, you know, even par- having parented neurotypical children and even children that come from a traumatic background, there was just something, you know, in our mama's gut. We just know. Um and you know, I was kind of told by a lot of specialists, like, oh, kind of give it time. There's a wide range. But as a mom, sometimes you just know. Mm. Um, Charlie was late to walk, late to talk, late to get his teeth, late to grow, you know, all the things. And he he also never ever slept. We were on like a newborn schedule mm. for like five years, mm. you know, waking up every two to three hours. And so it wasn't until I did a deep dive into the vast effects of in-utero alcohol exposure that I basically presented to our team of professionals. I think Charlie has FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And lo and behold, he does have that. And he actually has fetal alcohol syndrome, which on fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is the the diagnosis when there's actually some physical signs Mm -hmm. of that now if you were to look at my son he's adorable there's nothing you know that looks immediately Mm non-typical but the reality is um that's that's really difficult because he he's adorable and he he looks he looks pretty typical but he has a brain that works significantly differently and because his brain works significantly differently um That leads to just a lot of frustration on his part. Um, And again, another opportunity for me, Crystal, to just with humility move forward. It has been a journey for me because honestly, many times the way Charlie's acting in public, had I seen a child Mm -hmm. acting like my child now sometimes does, Mm -hmm. my internal monologue would have been What is or is not happening in that home to have a child that responds to this? How is that child being treated if he's talking that way to his parents in public? Whatever it is, you know, and um, that child is my, my child. And I'm well aware that since picking him up from the hospital at 48 hours old, like we have poured love and goodness into him. But, you know, in utero um, exposure can be a real game changer and It certainly put our family on a very different path. Charlie is going to need a very high level of interdependence forever. That doesn't mean, I mean, he's smart and he's clever and he's funny and he has, he's he's creative. um, And he, he um, kind of like autism has some like really unique needs where he just goes all in, you know, right now it's fishing. So if you bring up fishing, he will tell you every kind of lure you could use to catch different fish, you know, more information than most people are, are interested in hearing. But along with all of those wonderful qualities, you know, because Charlie has organic brain damage and because it's lifelong and irreversible, he also experiences aggression and impulsivity and a gap between what he hears and what he actually understands. And um, it's definitely made me more aware of the smooth sidewalk that, you know, a lot of kids and a lot of families walk. And I feel like every day for him crystal is like climbing a mountain Mm -hmm. and um sometimes you know for me it's it's also been a huge learning experience for me because part of what i'm learning is that i can give cognitive assent that my child struggles in these ways but that doesn't mean just because i understand it on a on a cognitive level that it doesn't affect me you know, that it doesn't affect my body living in fight or flight or that I don't have to have hypervigilance at times, you know, scanning the room and kind of being able to, you know, just have a keen eye on like almost like what way the wind is blowing. I mean, there's a lot of imperceptible ways that we just that my husband, Luke, and I are have to be really attuned to our son and a lot of cues. Um, so it's it's definitely put us on a different path. Um but again, there's there's an invitation in that. And I think part of what I have learned and am continuing to learn with the gift of Charlie is that, you know, we value in our society and in our faith communities, self-sufficiency at like the highest value. And, you know, the privilege of parenting Charlie is allowing me to see like, You know, God asks us to depend (laughs) on Him, and we need community and depend on one another, and that we can't shy away from that and see that as weakness. Um, And Charlie is continually showing me Mm. that there's beauty in that. Mm. Because what He's invited me to do, Crystal, in parenting Him, is to celebrate things that I mistook for low-level behavioral Mm -hmm. expectations of like, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way it goes. That's what kids are supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And now I have a child that is unable to do most of those things. So it's allowed me to see with new eyes Mm -hmm. things that with my other kids, I wouldn't have ever taken a moment to
0: have a, you know, have gratitude for. Yes. I think that having a child with special needs, it slows you down (laughs) in this most beautiful way and it stops you in your tracks to notice and to become a noticer of these tiniest little things. Yes. And I was like, with my other kids, did I ever even pay attention to that? No. Right. And and it's just, it's so interesting to have a two-year-old who has special needs and then to have birthed another baby. And I keep being like, oh my goodness, look at him. He put his hands at midline, you know, <laughs> these things. And then I'm like, oh, I think that that's part of development, but I I never noticed before. And I right. feel like to just be able to rejoice and notice these little things that are, you know, huge milestones yes. for this child. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so as a mom, I was thinking that not knowing this diagnosis when you first started fostering him, um, then when you were in the process of adopting him, I and mean, when did you start realizing something was off? Yeah, it was. It was after we had adopted
1: him. I mean, I think looking back, Crystal, there were signs, but mm-hmm. I just, you know, was kind of trusting the professionals. That was like kind of like a wait and see. Let's just wait and see. Mm-hmm. And I think when you are welcoming a child, and you and they're they're history is really a mystery. You know, there's just like, well, I don't really exactly know what we're dealing with, but it was, it was when he was four that he got the formal diagnosis Mm. of fetal alcohol syndrome. And that has allowed us, um, to navigate our state's developmental disability services, which, um, it's allowed us to hire an aide and, you know that's another humbling thing. You know, mm-hmm. i my my child needs line of sight supervision. Mm-hmm. This means that in order for me to do homework with my other kids or clean the house or make you know whatever whatever life has, like I need somebody that's on that's shadowing Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um we have been really fortunate to have the same committed aid for the last three years. And did that take me some time to get used to having somebody else in my home with me? Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: I was thinking of that as I was reading the book and just how that's another way of opening your home and your life in a really vulnerable way to have someone right there saying, I, I can't do this on my own. I need right. your help. And. Right. Welcome to the chaos. <laughs> Welcome to the chaos. And I feel like that's another example, right? Like
1: Charlie is going to be interdependent on us, but I'm interdependent on his aid. You know, mm-hmm. like there's just kind of this circular view of like interdependence, like we need one another. Mm-hmm. And I think so oftentimes that special needs families feel really lonely, even with community around them. They can feel really lonely. But I feel like this is this is a world that I would have never known mm-hmm. had Charlie not come into our lives. Mm-hmm. So, and it's you know, I think for me having the opportunity to talk about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, I didn't know much about it. I may have heard it mentioned in a training class or two, but I really didn't know much about it before walking this road. Mm-hmm. And um it's it's the most common preventable cause of, of intellectual disabilities in the world. It's mm-hmm. actually more prevalent than autism and in the foster care population, it, there's a higher percentage of kids that have in utero Um, alcohol exposure. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think it's one of the things that I've found it's not talked about very much. And so it's not something that parents oftentimes will even think to explore.
1: Yes. And I think part of that is because, you know, when we know kids are coming from a traumatic background, you know, we know that there might be behaviors, but here, you know, the, the symptoms of this Um, are, are mostly behavioral, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's hard to go, well, what's really going on here? Is this, is this just a will for a child that's having a hard time or is this because he, he won't do it or he can't do Mm -hmm. it. And that's, you know, it's a pretty big distinction right there.
0: Well, and just all of these things, I love how early on you talked about you were bankrupted of your self-sufficiency. And I just think even though that is such a hard place to be because we want control, we want to kind of know all our ducks are in a row, at least somewhat, and here's how the future is going to look. But God uses these things to just kind of take all of that away so that all we have is Jesus. And when all we have is Jesus, we recognize He's enough. He's enough. We, we want to feel like we're, we're enough. You know, we, we got this, but we really don't. And, but he is enough. And so welcoming those spaces where we have to let go of self-sufficiency and say, I can't do this on my own, but I rely upon you and trust that you can. Yeah.
1: And it's super humbling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think that's what's so interesting about this journey is that I have learned more through, through being, you know not being able to do it all and mm-hmm. being, you know, humbled and in my weakness. Um, but who who really says, like, let me raise my hand and sign me up for that? You mm-hmm. know, it just doesn't seem like something that you would willingly choose to say. I'm going to put myself in a place where I'm going to really need others, and I'm going to be completely dependent on just God.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's what a love-stretched life is, you know? I was just thinking how pouring out love and God stretching you to your max, and then allowing him to pour his love through you to others because you don't have enough, but he is enough. And so I just really, really appreciate your your book. And I read this on Instagram stories the other day, but I want to read it again because it was it's there's so many quotes in here that I love, but this one if I can find it really quickly. Um, you were talking about just being in this place of. There's so many moving parts in your daily life and so many things that it's just, it's not all this perfect, but you said, just like in the classic children's story, The Velveteen Rabbit, I would not trade my worn down real life for something shiny and new, as tempting as it may feel some days. And you said, stretching to love and love well, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, is what has given me the life that is mine. And I just appreciate you, Jelana. I appreciate your heart and your passion for encouraging others for just living a life that is, in a sense, you're just, you know, letting God use every single part of you, you know, just letting him like being a real picture of Jesus to the world of, you know, he came and he laid down his life. And that's what you're doing every single day. You're not pursuing comfort and ease. You're walking in Jesus' steps. And some days it probably feels really hard and comfort and ease would sound really Really appealing. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you for being willing to lay down your life in this way and make a difference in the lives of so many others. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.